Did you see my letterbox? I I did not. Oh boy. Okay. Uh oh. It's fine. Everything's fine. Oh dear. Okay. What are we in for? <laughs> You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen cinema and adult rom-coms. I am your host, Martha Sullivan, a homeowner in the throes of having to make all of those uh, decisions and deal with all of those things. Uh, and I am here, as always, with my co-host. I'm Maren Higman, um, rom-com, or adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. Uh, yes, and I was just telling Maren off mic about the travails that we have had in the house that we have lived in for about a year and a half. And it is a good little house, and I love it, and I wish that it would keep itself together. <laughs> um, but apart from my homeowner woes... Uh, We are here today to talk about the 2023 Netflix original, Happiness for Beginners. Uh, This dropped on July 27, so it is real hot off the presses. Uh, And we are going to be spoiling the whole thing. I know that I only give you guys a spoiler warning about conservatively 45% of the time, but I try to do so when it is a uh, real new movie. So yeah, this one is very new. It was written and directed by Vicki Wright and also written by Katherine Carter. And it stars Ellie Kemper as Helen, Luke Grimes as Jake, Nico Santos as Hugh, Blythe Danner as Gigi, Ben Cook as Beckett, Shavon Webster as Wendy, Julia Shiplett as Sue, Gus Burney as Kaylee, Esteban Benito as Mason, Alexander Koch as Duncan, and Aaron Roman Wiener as Mike. Oh, and how could I forget? Mary Neely as Lulu. This movie is about... (laughs) Helen recently divorced from Mike, who decides that what she needs is to kind of reset her life. She's been having a hard time. She's just off a divorce. So she signs up for a beginner hike in the Connecticut portion of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, Jake, her younger brother Duncan's best friend, also ends up on the same hike. Uh, And through the course of the next week, Helen learns a lot about herself and about the things that she's been missing. And Jake finally gets a chance to confess his feelings. And then we all sing karaoke. We sure do. This was a very charming commercial for Patagonia. <laughs> um, so, Marin, had you watched this before we decided to do it for the podcast, or were you just sort of waiting because you knew that we would get to it? It, it actually just watching? came out. Um, it came out a little, like a month ago. So it's brand right. spanking new. Um, so yeah, I had not, I had not watched it before. I had just known I wanted to watch it for, um, you know, in general and for reasons. And so I thought it would be a good fit for this. So yeah, I had not watched it before. Um, I, I also me. never read the book. Oh, I didn't know it was based on a book. It is based on a book by Catherine Center. 
Um, oh, okay. So that would be the co-writing credit. Yeah. There. And what's interesting is Catherine Center is someone who I think kind of lives in a little bit of a gray space between romance novel and um, women's fiction. Um, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and might explain some of what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, to spoil my feelings about this movie a little bit, I think I would, I think it would have worked better for me without the romance portion. And I want to qualify my statement for that by saying I did think that Luke Grimes was one of the best parts of the movie. So I, I can see, I can see where her stuff kind of like, it was definitely romantic, but it almost felt like just a literary fiction. Like it almost felt just like a sort of a woman finding herself narrative that also just happened to have a romance in it. Exactly. Rather than a full on like capital R romance novel. Yeah, and I, I think part of the tension there is that, yeah, the romance isn't driving the plot. The romance is tacked on. Um, and it's interesting to me because this actually comes up. This is a frustration I have with many British books that are labeled romance novels. Um, so uh, Mari McFarlane's books. Um, oh, gosh, who wrote The Flatmate? Lucy's, not Lucy Score. She wrote the other one. Beth O'Leary, I think is her name. Um, I just read another one. Um, or sorry, not the flatmate, the flat share. Um, yeah, Beth O'Leary. So, so this in some ways reminds me of there's this group of British authors that, I mean, even honestly, and I know you're a big fan of Sophie Kinsella. Um, in some ways, this fits in that vein um, from you know, that I think was very prevalent in the U.S. in the mid to late aughts, but died off and hasn't died off in Britain. Um, and that's what I would call, for lack of a better word, chiclet. So you have, it, it lives somewhere in that space between women's fiction and romance, where it, in general, and I think the distinction between that and a, what I would deem, romance novel although I'm sure there's some who disagree with me is that in these the romance is kind of tacked on to the end um and it's part of a heroine's journey and not the central two people falling in love are not the central driving force of the plot um and I think that's a key distinction I think that's a little bit what's going on here um and I I kind of want to be clear I have no problem with that as a narrative like i'm into romance as a like as one of the side dishes to my story my problem with this movie was that it felt underdeveloped in both directions and that's and the i think that with stories like this yeah that's yeah I either wanted it to lean one way or the other like make it a full on journey of self discovery or make it focus on the developing relationship between these two people. Because I'll tell you, one of the big problems that I had, like, I'm a fan of Enemies to Lovers, I'm into it, but this movie never really made me understand 
why these two characters didn't like each other, except that Jake is um, Helen's younger brother's friend. Like, I, I, they have a big confrontation when he shows up to be on her hike, on the hike, and she's like, why are you here? Don't talk to me. I'm gonna pretend I don't know you. And I was just like, whoa, girl, why? Like, what? <laughs> Where is the hostility coming from? And because I am a fairly genre-savvy person, I understood narratively what the movie was doing, but I also didn't feel like it earned it. It just was like, this is how it is. And I'm like, well, oh. I guess if you tell me. See, I would actually push back on that because I think we did see exactly why she doesn't like him um, in that first scene at her wedding to Mike. And I think that him and Duncan making it clear that they you know, don't think she should go through with marrying Mike um, really soured him you know, soured him for her. I, I think they do, like, she's like, well, you were, um, you know, you weren't supportive, um, and, like, you were really mean about me and Mike, and therefore, um, I'm not gonna let you into my inner circle, even though you're my brother's best friend. So, and they, they did actually show that. So I, I got a sense of where, the, I, I feel like they were pretty clear about where the animosity came from. Well, and see, I read that, I read the purpose of the wedding scene as more, this is, this is the example we're going to get of why Mike and Helen are not good for each other. Like, I, I was not reading... I guess I didn't feel like that was enough to generate the amount of hostility that she shows him later. It's more like, oh, this shows that Mike is a putz and everyone is like telling Helen that Mike is a putz and then that ends up being correct. See, I think it does both. I think it tells us as the audience that Mike is a putz and everyone knew it before Helen but I think it also sets up, and I think that the movie goes into this in more detail later, why, I mean, not only has she had this animosity towards Jake, but she hasn't fully let Duncan in either. And I, I think the sense that we, with the snapshot we get from that scene with her interactions with Jake and Duncan are, are showing us that, you know, they were not supportive of her relationship with Mike. And for Duncan, that it was part of a long series of her keeping him at arm's length since their other sibling had passed. Um, and that she and Jake have never really gotten along. And this is just one in another long line of them rubbing each other the wrong way. In that this in particular is really hurtful to her where here are two people showing up at her wedding to basically they say they disapprove of this wedding happening so i think that scene was actually doing all those things fairly effectively okay and i guess i just didn't i i don't know that i read it as one in a long series of interactions like that so i i wasn't getting as much of that weight behind it yeah, or, I mean, or it was like, and we hear more later. I mean, I do think it did represent a shift in their relationship because when they're talking, um, there's that scene, um, and is it at the bar before they go? But there's a scene where 
Jake says, hey, Helen, you used to be so much fun. You used to come in and like take us out when we were in college before you started dating Mark or Mike. Sorry. Uh, before you started dating Mike, like we all like you, Duncan and I used to hang out and have a good time. And, um, you know, you had this sparkle. And so I think we're also meant to see that, like, at one point they were more friendly. And this, you know, either like her starting to date Mike really started tension between her and Jake and Duncan where they didn't approve of him. And she read that as, uh, you know, that that kind of put some distance in their relationship and that this scene at her wedding was kind of the final nail in her coffin or they had tried to keep it down, let, you know, they kind of drifted apart naturally as, you know, she didn't want to hang out or they didn't want to hang out with Mike. So they just naturally hung out less. And then this episode at her wedding day was just like betrayal. I don't know. I think you could be right either of those ways. Um, but I, I think we do get established and I, I think we do get to see like the re you know, them having animosity and there being a reason for that animosity. Fair enough. I also, and I, I am willing to admit this, uh, part of the struggle that I had with it was that while I like Ellie Kemper very much and I enjoyed Luke Grimes in this movie very much. I thought they had about as much chemistry together as I do with a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, no, there was not much chemistry. They were each, yeah, they were siloed. They were each doing a fine job on their own, and it just didn't happen with them together. And additionally, like, all of the supporting characters were so great that I was almost like, I wish this was just... Ellie Kemper in the woods with a bunch of wacky people and like discovering that they're actual people and not just the kind of goofy characters that we get set up with in the beginning. Like if it had, if the movie had just been about her like kind of rediscovering her sense of fun and then also learning who all of these, uh, really cool and interesting people are like outside of her initial um like outside of the sort of smallness of her married life i think i would have had a really good time well um, and i think what you're getting at is i actually think like pulling back and looking holistically here i actually think they did i mean yes i think there's an argument to be made that they shortchanged each plot a little bit but I think they might have done just enough with the plot. But the problem is, is that all of the hiking companions were so much more engaging than the romance that that part of the movie yes. you wanted to spend more time in. And um, so you felt like you didn't get enough of that when actually like the script was probably pretty actually pretty well balanced. And if she and Luke Grimes had had better chemistry and if we had been as engaged or connected to that storyline as much, it might not have felt so lopsided or so sort changed. But I think the problem is that yeah, her hiking buddies are just so compelling that anytime we're not spending with them, the movie kind of loses its momentum. And and then you just spend chunks of the movie feeling as if 
you know, not feeling as engaged and and therefore you you just feel like you were shortchanged from getting to spend either one more time with Blythe Danner as Gigi because that was also great um or two all of her hiking buddies like I wanted to hang out with Beckett and Hugh and Mason and Wendy and Kaylee way more and I I think that was probably just at the end of the day the acting chemistry of the group I I think that there is a version of this movie with the same script with different leads that have more electric chemistry that really pushes beyond the flattened real simple magazine of this movie. I don't know that I'm willing to do that much work um, in speculation, but I do agree that the, the, um, secondary characters and those actors were truly doing a fabulous job. Um, I love Nico Santos and he's essentially playing the same character in this as he is in crazy rich Asians, but I'm also not mad about it. Or in superstore. Um, I am here for Nico Santos getting work. Hire Nico Santos for all the things, please. And yeah, I really got to love the actor playing Beckett and the actress playing um, Kaylee. Like, and they all get, and the actor playing Mason, like, they all get material that is weirdly subtle in this movie. Like, they they get these little bits that tell you so much about the characters in really artful ways. Like, Mason is this like venture capitalist bro who pitches himself as like an ultimate hiker and is out on an adventure. And later he and Kaylee, who is this kind of wackadoo, um, like she reminds me of a like Wiggles type actor playing a ukulele and like singing little kid songs. <laughs> but you find out that she's you find out that she's like a hardcore investor because they show you like two or three sentences of a conversation she's having with Mason when he's just like, how long have you been doing this? And she's like, oh, you know, four years with like a 25% return on investment. And it's like, oh, this is, this is kind of the movie that I want. But I thought that the, I thought the dialogue choices and the acting choices for those roles was so much more skillful than what we get with our main leads particularly in the scenes where they have their like big character reveals, which had all of the artfulness as having an anvil dropped on your head. <laughs> yeah. The scene where she is revealing about her sibling who died, whose name I forget. Um, yeah, it, it was not effective. You, um, one, I firmly don't believe that her having known Jake for how long that he wouldn't have known this already. No, especially if he is not, if he's also best friends with her brother. Right. Like, Duncan has told him some version of this story. And they might allude to it briefly. Um, I, he, I think he does allude to, like, oh, well, this is kind of what Duncan told me. Um, but it certainly doesn't. It, it feels like, oh, we need to have this big reveal for this big reveal's sake. And it doesn't come out naturally. It felt very forced. Uh, Ditto. Ditto the scene where we find out that Luke is losing his eyesight. Right. That felt like... 
I don't know, the way that he delivers that dialogue and the dialogue itself was like, now it is my time to trauma bond with you. And I'm like, wow, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, like it never, you never got the sense that I think what they thought that, well, I think the intention is supposed to be here. Are these two people who have known each other for decades, but don't actually know each other. And I I think that the the dialogue was so clumsy and it was so um Yeah, you just felt like it was the the herd of hyenas getting, you know, running over uh Mufasa and the Lion King. Like it was just going <laughs> and you you didn't get I think a more skillfully written scene would have actually been able to convey that intention of oh here are these two people who have spent so much time together and have known each other for so long and yet there are these deep truths about them that they don't know yet and they're finally to this point where they can develop an intimacy that they've never had even though they've known each other for so long and I think that you yeah the way they wrote those scenes you just don't buy that that's what's going on here even though that's what the narrative i think is supposed to tell us is what's going on here yeah this is why my review my letterbox review for this movie was just lazy 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 because i i think that i think a lot of this movie is written in a really lazy way i think that there's some good stuff here. I think the actors are doing a lot more work than the script is. Um, and I think that the setting is doing so much heavy lifting. Um, the movie looks beautiful. Oh, like we're on a beautiful. trail in the woods and it's gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like the, the script got to a certain place and the writers were like, and here is where the trauma goes. And they didn't, I don't know, it didn't, the delivery didn't work for me. Yeah, and um, I, I and think, my, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I also don't think, and I really do like Ellie Kemper, but I don't think that she did a good enough job for for some reason she did not do the work of showing Helen falling in love with Jake. Like, as soon as Jake shows up on screen, you're like, oh, he's been in love with Helen his entire life. Like, that was very clear to me. But I I don't think that you get the same kind of reaction from Ellie Kemper until the very end when she reads the poem that he left her and then it's like oh this woman is acting like she's in love with this guy she has some moments of of jealousy but they did not translate to me to actual like oh you like this guy no and we, i don't know we didn't get to see them well okay so I think part of the problem is, again, these scenes where we're supposed to see they're developing intimacy and we're supposed to see them pushing past the versions of each other that they've known for so long are so ham-fisted and don't 
and and so cardboard cutout e that yeah it doesn't feel like a process it's like a light switch flips and suddenly she's in love with him back and yes yeah and i think that is um yeah and and i think it does stand out all the more for the fact that we do get these lovely character arcs with the other characters and we do get to see this movie does take the time to to have some good characterization for its supporting cast so it's it's bizarre that it has all these nice, lovely moments and nuance for the supporting characters, but leaves none of it for its leads. Yeah, it's a bummer. I hope that whatever movie Ellie Kemper makes next, I like more, frankly. Yeah, because she's so charming. And I I think to she her energy is so specific that it's it's really hard to i think deploy her well in a film um and i think this was an attempt by her to break out of her kimmy schmidt mold um and yeah, I, I, I do, I, I think you're onto something. I think either they should have cut the love story or they should have gotten leads with better chemistry and tried to do both stories. Because, um, yeah, it's just a shame that it ends up really not connecting. I will say that I was kind of... I was kind of biased against Helen from her opening scene in the movie because we are introduced to Helen um, after, no, the very first scene we see her, she's sitting on the couch at the party, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, So we open on Ellie, or we open on Helen sitting in a ca- on a couch in the middle of a party, and she opens her purse and pulls out a handwritten list and holds it up to her face in a way that no one on the planet has ever done before. And reads this list. It's like her goal, what she is planning to accomplish on the hike. But the way that she pulls out the list and the way that it's a handwritten note and the way that she like looks at it in the middle of this crowded room, the whole thing was so artificially staged i was like none of this feels natural none of this feels like the way an actual human being would have done any of it like realistically she's probably keeping that list in a keep app on her phone Mm, yeah um but also like i don't know the the whole thing was staged in such a way that i was just like this is not a person (laughs) this is i don't know i don't know what we're doing but this is not a, a real human being yeah, because I, I don't think they ever went to the level of, like, this is why she handwrites. Like, you never, she was never specific enough that you felt like you understood the things that made her uniquely Helen. Like you said, like, if there had been some reason she handwrote lists, or she was super into handwriting lists and for some reason bringing them to a party instead of just keeping them in her weekly planner or bullet journal like a normal person. Um, 
I think that that's I think that that's exactly it, Maren. I watched this whole movie about Helen finding herself, and I don't feel like I know who she is. Mm. I don't I don't feel like I actually learned anything about her, except that she was in an unhappy marriage and now she's not, and now she gets to date a hot guy. Like, good for you. But I don't actually think that this movie tells me anything about who she is. Well, and I think we're supposed to get the implication that she perseveres through this hike and, you know, learns that she's stronger than she thinks. And I don't know, as someone who also just did a long hike, um, that isn't... Doing a long hike does not change who you are. <laughs> um, doing a long don't tell hike... The, don't tell the eat, pray, love lady. <laughs> um, or, sorry, do you mean Cheryl Strayed? No, that was wild. Oh, okay. Wait. Oh, also that. Also yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say. Wait, am I forgetting the part in Eat, Pray, Love where she goes on a hike? I guess, to be fair, I didn't actually read Eat, Pray, Love. I don't know, she spent some time in, like, a Buddhist monastery meditating amongst mosquitoes for a while. <laughs> that kind of... It's the whole, like, communal nature um, thing. Wild yeah. wild was a better comparison. You're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> just so you know, Cheryl Strait from McGregor, Minnesota. Uh, very near where I grew up. She's one of uh, northern Minnesota's few... Uh, more, you know, celebrities who are still alive. So I gotta I gotta claim her when I can. But yeah, I I I think that you know, going on a cause what is it, a fifty mile hike? Yes. Listen, I just did a seventy mile hike and I am the same person I was on day one as I was on day eight. Maybe with some more, actually, I did pretty good at not getting blisters. I was about to say with some more blisters. I did get a few blisters, but they were pretty minor. I was pretty good about the blisters. Um, Yeah, with very aching feet and a few tears later, like, am, am I a different person? No. I mean, to be fair, I did not set out on my hiking adventure intending to become a different person, but... I'm just like, I don't, in no universe, do I believe that walking 50 miles fundamentally changes who you are. Well, and also to be fair, you were not there with a cast of kooky characters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Who could help show you, who could help show you some fundamental truths about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I just met uh, some very friendly Australian, a very friendly Australian and some very taciturn Austrians. Um, yeah, that's true. But, yeah, I I just think if the movie wants us to believe that this is a transformative journey, then, and and I think it tried with some scenes about Helen learning survival skills and pushing past challenges leading up to the big sequence where Hugh breaks his leg and she needs to find help. Um, I, I think the movie thinks that shorthand for transformation. Um, and I, th I think it does pays lip service to Helen believing that 
you know, pushing through and accomplishing this hike makes her realize that she's a stronger person than she she realized. Um, but you certainly never feel that. And I don't know if the, it's just because those scenes are so superficial and, and we don't get the specificity. I think I would have liked to have seen a moment with Helen at work. Mm. And the reason the reason I say that is because I think the movie is like, here is a real type A that needs to learn how to cut loose. And I'm like, well, she makes lists and is organized in a crisis. But I kind of feel like if that's the lesson you wanted me to learn, you should have shown me her at work. Right. No, really, just like literally any anything that shows me who she is. Yeah, because yeah, I think all we know about her, I think you're right. All we know about her is that, well, and part of it too is all we know about her is what we're told. We're told yes. she used to be fun before she got married. We're told that um, she feels like this accomplishing this hike is going to transform her as a person. We're told that she has these lingering, you know, this lingering trauma and this is how it's affected her. We're, we're told all these things. We're not shown them. Yeah, it's a bummer. I feel like there was some missed opportunity here. Yeah, definitely. And especially because when... When this movie is Beckett and his group of newbie hikers, this movie is really engaging. Very fun. And I, yeah, like I said, like I said, I, I think this movie either needed to be more that or it needed to have actors with better chemistry in the leads. Um, and it needed to revamp some of those scenes with critical information. Um, so that you actually felt those things. Yeah, all of that's true. I also feel like the movie missed some opportunities for wacky, uh, packing shenanigans. Mm. Like... It gets close with the mix-up with her boots. Like, she's supposed to have been wearing the boots that the group sent her for two weeks to break them in. She forgets them at home. She buys a new pair of boots. She has blisters four days later. Like, I kind of wanted a gag with um, Nico Santos. It's like, at some point, he doesn't have a piece of equipment because he packed, like extra snacks or something like yeah. I, I feel like there was an opportunity for some camping related jokes that we just never even got into right and that felt like a waste yeah i, I, I wanted this movie to be i wanted this movie to be funnier i'm realizing as i say this like it i think Lack for lack of any other categorization, this movie is a rom com, but I wanted more from the com side of that. Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely 
closer to a romantic drama that happens to have a happy ending than a full rom-com, I think. Um... Especially when you have Ellie Kemper, who can handle the comedy. Right. Yeah, like, there should have been more hijinks about her, you know, underwear getting stolen by raccoons or something. I don't know. Is that a thing that happens when one camps? God, that would have been good. Or, like, and we saw he, the thing with the bear, bear stuff. Why not jokes of, you know... Some physical comedy why? about they think there's a bear or something. Um, why didn't we get an actual bear? Yeah. Is what I want to know. Chekhov's bear. Come on, people. I mean, the answer is probably they couldn't have afforded the CGI, but still. <laughs> you know, like, we could have used some B-roll footage of a bear. Like, that would have been fine. Or even just if they had made the bear sounds and then just shown us everybody hiding from the bear. They didn't actually need to show us the bear. And again, I feel like a lot of this ends up being Hugh hid food in his backpack. Like, he makes he makes quite a few uh, comments about how much he misses food. Have him sneak food in his backpack. Have his backpack get raided by raccoons. Right! You and I could have written. You and I could have written a better movie, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, probably. Well, anything else we want to say about? Well, what do we think the title means? Um. Well, I think it's supposed to relate back to what Wendy was talking about. Um. That you know, all the that scene where they're talking about. Um. You know, Wendy studying happiness um and that she thought that so many people study things about why people are unhappy that she wanted to study how happiness functions so i think the title is supposed to be derived from there that was a cute moment i enjoyed that (laughs) i enjoyed i enjoyed helen's just like complete inability to think of three things that make her happy (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that was definitely one. That, I mean, any of the scenes where it's just Helen and the the camp and crew hanging out, I was here for. And I felt like they montaged away a lot of her, like actually getting to be friends with them. Like, right. I love a montage. You know, I love a montage. Um, but at the end, when they're leaving, and she's like, "I'll see you soon," I'm like. <laughs> I get that I'm supposed to now know that you all are lifelong friends, but I would have loved to have seen more of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that is where the movie was most successful. And so they should have put their chips on that one. I'm, I'm sort of thinking through this now. Do we think this might have worked better if Luke hadn't been? childhood friends with Helen and her brother. Oh, a thousand percent. If we had just sort of let their relationship flourish on the trail and not tried to pull in, like, additional background baggage. 
Exactly. Like, if he had just been a rando and something happened their first day where they they rubbed each other the wrong way and had... Yeah, like... Yeah. Yeah, like, he's, like, trying to teach her and she's like, I don't need your help. And, you know, he's like, fine. Ooh, we also could have used a rain sequence Mm. on the trail. Yes. Like, a... A good downpour, I feel, <laughs> always has a solid place in a movie like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, would you recommend this movie, Morin? I would recommend it with a caveat. I mean, I would let people know this is a Hallmark card of a movie, and that also tells you how flat it is in parts, so... And see, I ultimately, I don't think I would. I think that you and I have certainly talked about movies that are a more fun way to spend an hour and 45 minutes. And I don't know that this one serves up anything particularly new. It doesn't, but I also feel like we have have spent many a worse hour and 45 minutes. Well, that's true, too. So, you know, sometimes... Listen, sometimes you don't want a gourmet cheese bread. Sometimes you want to cheese it. And this is a cheese it of a movie. That is totally and 100% fair. Sometimes you just want the prepackaged and it says what it's doing on the tin. This is brought to you by the fact that the gas station Pete and I stopped at yesterday on our drive home from Door County did not have Cheez-Its, which, what gas station does not have Cheez-Its? Oh, that was very sad. I ended up with corn nuts. Yeah. My road trip snack of choice is, um, combos. Oh, sure. Um, but I respect a Cheez-It. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 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 a Cheese It and Jolly Rancher kind of gal. Interesting. Like are those that's your road trip snack? Yeah, I don't combine them, don't worry. But I just I like my savory oh. course and then my sweet course. Fair enough. I like uh like I said, I like a combo. And then I I like a uh like an almond Snickers situation. Ooh. Like I feel I feel like the almond Snickers are the ones that you only find in like gas stations. Like you it's it's always just regular Snickers in vending machines and stuff. So when I'm on the road, I like an almond Snickers. Interesting. I can't say that I've ever had an almond Snickers. They feel a little classy. Oh. Like like a an upgraded version of my usual Snickers. <laughs> I mean, almonds are so fancy. Truly. Well, Marin, what would you recommend our listeners enjoy after uh, enjoying the Happiness for Beginners? Sure. Um, I'm kind of railroading this one in, uh, but to my credit... There is a, like, uh, friend's older brother situation. So kind of got that. It's also travel-based. 
Um, but I'm actually currently reading right now, so I'm not actually done with it. But the first 50% has been highly enjoyable. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume the back half is also going to be enjoyable. Uh, Scandalized by Ivy Owens. Um, and it is about um, Gigi and Alec. Um, and Gigi is stranded at the Seattle airport um, coming back from she's a journalist trying to break a big story in London just trying to get back to LA she gets stranded at the Seattle airport and lo and behold she runs into her childhood crush her childhood best friend's older brother Alec um, and they have this epic one night stand um, while while sheltering from you know, plane delays, um, shenanigans ensue. Because it turns out Alec is keeping a really big secret. Um, yeah, shenanigans ensue. It's been very fun so far. Uh, Scandalized by Ivy Owens, who I did, I did learn is one half of Christina Lauren, um, who is a very very famous romance novel duo so this is this is the lauren half striking out on her own um yeah and i'm gonna go on a limb here who knows maybe the second half of this book is a stinker but uh i highly doubt it martha what would you recommend so i so the the wilderness kind of survival subgenre is a rich vein to mine in ya um, so my selection focuses on the, like, being out in the wild rather than any sort of romance sure. connection. I mean, I it think that's called... a good epitome of I come at this from the romance angle and you come at this from the teen angle. Uh, so my selection for you guys today is Be Not Far From Me by Mindy McGinnis. And this book is about a girl named Ashley who goes out into the Smoky Mountains uh, with a group of her friends for a like overnight party and she catches her boyfriend cheating on her and storms off into the woods in a rage and then falls into a ravine Ooh. and when morning comes uh she realizes that she is completely lost uh injured and alone in the forest, and has to figure out how to get back to civilization um, before uh, her injuries kind of get the better of her. So it is, uh, yeah, it's a real tense. Mindy McGinnis writes really tense, um, fairly gnarly YA situations. And this one was interesting because it focuses so much on the girl alone uh kind of deal so yeah that's my that's my recommendation any final thoughts on happiness for beginners i hope they will adapt more romance novels i hope movies like this not working don't mean that they're not gonna keep adapting books from authors like Catherine center I don't think I don't think there's any danger of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. And Bridgerton, I guess, has been enough of a hit. But I feel like there haven't been enough 
I actually feel like there haven't been like a ton of adaptations of like mainstream romance like this. Or, you know, big romance authors like this. And I don't know. Netflix, call me up. I'll tell you which ones to pick <laughs> instead. <laughs> I mean, a bunch of the movies that we've done on this podcast have been adapted from books. Uh, I would say a lot of the YA ones we have done have been adapted from YA books. But I don't think we've done too many um, adult rom-coms based on an adult romance novel. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I want I'm there to it. be more. <laughs> well, for next time, we are doing another book or another movie that was adapted from a book. In fact, it was my recommendation for you all the last time we were here together. Uh, next time we are going to be talking about Red, White, and Royal Blue, brand new on Amazon Prime, based on the book by Casey McQuiston. I am looking forward to watching this movie. I am more hesitant now than I was before it came out, but I'm still looking forward to watching this movie. In the meantime, until we get together and see you guys again in a few weeks, uh, you can... Follow me on all social media, including Blue Sky at Magical Martha. Um, I think the most interesting stuff I'm doing right now is probably on Letterboxd or on my newsletter, which is at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha, where I am watching all of the 2D traditionally animated uh, Disney movies, uh, Disney feature films in release order and publishing an entry about them a decade at a time. So I just finished off the 50s, and I'm about to start on the 60s, and I'm very excited about it. Marn, where can people find you? Uh, folks can find me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet basically only about romance novels these days. So if that interest you at all feel free to give me a follow and you can follow the show at dydyh podcast uh again including blue sky i just made us an account this week um it's not like a hugely happening social media presence but you know it's it's where we post our new episodes and it's where we post uh Episodes for Did You Do Your Homework, which is my other show that publishes on opposing weeks as this one, where Marin's husband Pete and I uh, pick a topic or a movie theme to do a deep dive on. And in a, our next episode, two weeks from now, uh, Marin is joining us and we are going to finally be talking about those movies that come up so very often but did not quite fit the purview of this show to do an episode of Love Ya On, we'll be doing our next Did You Do Your Homework on the Before Trilogy by Richard Linklater, which I'm very excited about. Well, we've all, oh. and I've only watched the first one so far. And I have thoughts. <laughs> I look forward to them. Well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, that does it. That is going to do it for us today. I hope you all have enjoyed this. 
We will see you in a few weeks. And until then, just remember that we love you. Ooh, I'm getting a little hoarse. Oh.